you, George. Thank you very much. I thought we'd talk about communion uh, this morning. When I was growing up at United Methodist Church, uh, we took communion quarterly. Uh, was that anyone else's experience that uh, as, you're, as a kid you were growing up with the quarterly communion? Well, oh, okay, not, not too many of us. Um, somewhere uh, along the line, uh, it, it became more frequent than that. Uh, my sense was that those churches that engaged in quarterly uh, communion, which was pretty widespread uh, back in that day and age, uh, was that the church, uh, the Protestant church, that denomination, whatever, was trying to distance itself from uh, Catholicism. I mean, there was that still kind of that strident feeling uh, between us and them, and there was pushback in both directions, and what Protestants could push back was to say, well, that if the, if the, if the Catholics were going to have communion every week, well, we're going to do something different. And, and it was a little obscene to think about communion on an annual basis, and so somewhere uh, the minds decided that it would be communion uh, on a quarterly basis. But most United Methodist churches have migrated. Uh, they've migrated from quarterly uh, to monthly, as, as this church's tradition is. Uh, there are some churches, uh, Methodist churches alike, uh, that celebrate weekly uh, communion. Uh, it was John Wesley's uh, discipline in his life to take communion every day in a group. It's not an individualized uh, experience. Uh, and for Wesley, whenever and with the, with the, he would preach uh, four or five times a day, uh, usually at least three times a day, when he gathered together, not only would they break the scripture, they'd break the bread. Uh, and so they would, uh, he, he would have communion regularly three or five times uh, a day for himself. So let's be honest for a moment. Uh, for some, uh, communion is a meaningful experience. I can tell. As you come forward to receive the elements, I can tell. It's written on your face as you receive the elements. And for others, communion is seen as an unnecessary intrusion into an otherwise perfectly quaffed order of worship. So, how about for you? How meaningful is communion for you. Well, let's again be honest at its very best, communion will be meaningful. Sometimes it will be a really grand experience, and every once in a while it'll be really, really good. And for others, for others, for some it just never connects. Well, at least the sermon might be shorter that day. But don't get your hopes up. Where would you place yourself on that continuum? The continuum of, well, it's just not that meaningful to, as we had last week, wow experience. How about having your communion be your wow moment, one of your wow moments for today? So as I grew up, if I were to close my eyes and listen to the music, I might not have known or is that communion? In the communion music was always dour. And the whole experience was dour. It seemed the more dour it was, the more meaningful it somehow was supposed to become. That I select for communion uh, is a mix it up. Both, I think, are appropriate. 
The song says, I come with joy to meet my Lord, forgiven, loved, and free. In awe and wonder to recall his life laid down for me. Life laid down for me. I come with joy. As Christian break bread, let us share each proud and moment that the love that made us makes us one and strangers now are friends. Strangers now are friends. So you can have the up-tempo song or you can have the contemplative. They're both right. Churches went through a long period. It seemed like, like the quest for was tantamount to being dour. Instead of the old Avery and Marsh song, every morning is Easter morning from now on. How many of us know that song? Shoo! Band your musical horizons here. No, that song is well left in the 80s where it started. That song does not belong here. But the words, every morning is Easter morning. To me, growing up, every Sunday felt like Good Friday. <laughs> And there's some reason for that. I understand it. You see, sackcloth and ashes were worn underneath our suit and our ties. <laughs> the principle for music during communion is that it'd be familiar, sometimes slow, sometimes fast, sometimes celebrative, sometimes reflective. Because in many ways, that's the yin and the yang of Holy Communion. Or do you call it, or do you call it the Lord's Supper? A rose by any other name smells just as sweet. So where are you on that one to ten continuum? Ah, communion. I leave it. Mainly, I guess I'm a leave it guy. Or do you find yourself on that other end? I come with joy to meet my Lord. My hope is that today, wherever you're on that, wherever you find yourself, remove, slide up a little more towards the wow. It's communion experience. He, Jesus, of bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so the author, Luke, reflects and gives to us Jesus' words at his last, the Passover Seder meal that he had with his disciples on that night that we refer to as Monday, Thursday. Likewise, then, we know that he lifted the cup. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Do this as often remember of me. Well, what exactly is the meaning of, of communion? Now, it's been central to the life of Christians back to the very beginning. We do it now monthly. But what are we doing really? Well, communion literally means So if I were to say, well, they were communing with nature, you would get that. I mean, they were at one with nature. So communion means sharing. And for us, it's the sharing and the breaking of the bread. It comes out of the King James Bible, uh, where Paul describes the taking of the, of, the, of the bread and the wine as the body and blood of Jesus. And so out of that, then we can actually see the roots of the Catholic understanding of real. It's communion. It's community. It's supposed to bring us together as one body. Paul said, because there is one bread, we who are men are one body. One bread, one body. There's a song out of our hymnal that says that. Yet, oddly enough, it was an argument 
over whether to use leavened bread or unleavened bread. That one of the main reasons that a split developed between the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church. A split over whether or not they would use leavened or unleavened bread. They're supposed to bring us together. One bread, one body. And yet, as I went with Betsy, my girlfriend at that time, to her church, church, one bread, one body, but not you, buddy. (laughs) You're not a card-carrying member of our church. One bread, one body, and yet uh, Protestant reformers, Luther and Zwingli, argued bitterly and split over whether or not it was real presence or not. Was Jesus' blood and flesh actually there? An argument, a conversation that exists for many still today. It was in the second century then that the the word Eucharist began to be used. Because Eucharist uh, became popular because Eucharist has this idea of thanksgiving. That we are giving thanks for the communion experience. It's called the, the Eucharist. Jesus took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and shared it. Our fullest rendering comes from Paul's letter to the people at Corinth. Be thankful for those churches that had struggles because it's out of those struggles then that we learn a lot of things. It began as a part, communion began as a part of a a full-scale meal shared in the home of the members of the community of faith. But Paul criticizes what it had become in their experience because they they had come to observe communion in an individualized way. They had privatized communion. He writes this, for when the time comes to eat, each of you on your own goes ahead with your own supper. And one goes hungry and another becomes drunk. And and communion served then as a backdrop for Paul's understanding of what the kingdom of God looked like. See, because it looks like the wealthier were able to come first. There, there, can you imagine that? That in a church, some people were kind of important than others. At least it happened in Corinth. Because those who were wealthier were able to eat first, and they got the better wine. They got the better drink. Then those who were not important, those who were less significant, those who were less prosperous, they'd get the leftovers. They'd get the bones to pick from. Uh, They were left drinking boo, I guess. (laughs) Hey, some of you know that brand. All right. (laughs) I was wondering if I'd be alone on that one, too. All right. (laughs) All this clearly violated the radical social vision of equality that Jesus continually promoted. So Paul calls each member of the, of the Christian community, those people that examine themselves as they would come together, as they prepare to take the Lord's Supper. And when they would come together to eat as a church, he asked them, simply wait for what? Over time, the church would formalize this ritual, they'd formalize communion, Lord's Supper, Eucharist. It became a part of our Sabbath worship. What remains absolutely central to this is the understanding, though, of community. 
what remains absolutely essential to the experience is the idea of overcoming distinctions and barriers. The coming together as one in the one bread. Jesus came with a, a clear message of the kingdom of God. We say it in the Lord's Prayer. We'll say it in a bit as a part of our community experience. Thy will be done earth as it is in heaven, right? That's, that's Jesus' continual hope. Everything that he came was about that, trying to bring up there, down here, that, that what, what, the way things are ordered, the way people are cared for, and whatever we ever envision that thing, that God's will would be, be revealed and be embraced and be brought into down here. He came with a clear understanding of human solidarity, out of which he lived again and again in the face of great criticism, because he's the oneness of all people. And so he broke bread with tax collectors, with sinners, outcasts. And John records Jesus taking a few loaves of bread and after distributed it to all present. There were by some estimates 5,000 people there. Well, not really. There were 5,000 men. See, women and children didn't count that day. <laughs> and so if they said 5,000, it meant 5,000 men. It really was a lot more than that. He distributed it to all. He didn't ask if, are, are you one of my disciples? <laughs> are, you a, are you a follower? Are you faithful? Are you curious? Are you doubtful? See, Jesus didn't distinguish between rich and poor, male or female, Jew or Gentile. He didn't ask if you were any of those things. He didn't find out if you were blue-collar, white-collar, or no-collar. He had a job or not. He didn't care what your social status was. But he would just roll up his sleeves and eat with everybody. And yet these words roll off us all so easily. They were huge back then, breaking down the social barriers. Let's be honest, these distinctions, these barriers still exist in fellowship today, don't they? And communion is more singing kumbaya with those gathered. See, communion is to stir in us an outpouring of love, not beginning here, but flowing out to the cars that are driving by. Jesus would gather people, break bread, and then send them out. Right? To feed and clothe and comfort others. I was hungry. He gave me food. I was thirsty. And he gave me something to drink. I was here and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. Sick and you took me in. In prison and you visited me. As you did it unto the least of these, my children, you did it unto me. See, that's not our natural proclivities, right? That's not our natural inclinations. We'd much rather be with people of birds of a feather flock together, right? So Jesus is always kind of pushing us, urging us uh, to, to, to uh, transcend barriers. And our barriers will be different. Take the life in the words of Jesus, just the life in the words of Jesus. It, it's overwhelmingly clear that Jesus cares exponentially more about orthodoxy than he does orthodoxy. Okay, so there's your two big words of the day, okay? Just see if you're paying attention. Those of you who fell asleep really quick, you can wake back up. It really makes a lot of sense. Orthopraxy is the practice of doing things that are right. Orthodoxy is the study of doing things that are right. 
Jesus was far more concerned about orthopraxy, the practice of doing things, than he was orthodoxy of doing things right. Jesus exhibited love. He reached out. Now, for all we know, because we don't know a lot, sometimes those, we have the villains in the New Testament, the Sadducees and Pharisees, they may have talked a lot about love. We really don't know that they didn't. But in the end, what mattered most to them was not love put into action, but following the rules. Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I say unto you, Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Jesus plucked a grain, uh, plucked grain on the Sabbath. Jesus ate with publicans and sinners and tax collectors. This touched a woman who was bleeding. Jesus touched a leper, and we could go on and on. He was about orthopraxy. Not so much about orthodoxy. Jesus continually upset the of the day until it was clear he had to go. He had to die. And so on the night that he would be betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he took a cup of wine. For them, wine. For us, grape juice. Because as a denomination, we continue to put our stake in the ground and say we understand uh, that there are huge issues around uh, alcohol abuse in our land. And so we just are a church no to wine. And Jesus showed us the craziest thing yet, that he was willing to lay down his life. He was willing to die that we might live. And he said, remember, my great love, every time you get together, and you... So this morning, as you come forward to receive the bread and the cup, my hope is that you will experience both the yin and the yang. The joy, the joy of what is taking place, but also the somberness of the mood, both. And I'd like to suggest a way for you to experience both. I'd like you to have joy as you come down the aisle to experience the, I can't believe God in Christ died for me and he's given his life for me. And, and, and that receiving that gift is just incredible. Thank you, Lord. But then after having received that, that's the yin, the yang. I'd like to invite you to think about pausing up here. Stand, kneel, do whatever. Switch gears and say, oh, <laughs> I'm just not where I want to be yet. Haven't gotten there. I thank God that I'm not what I used to be. But I thank God that gives me. So come this morning. Come this morning to publicly declare. See, that was why I had to raise your hands earlier, and I, I, I think I'm going to start doing that because we need more expressions of, yeah, I'm, I'm publicly declaring, even in this safe environment, I'm going to publicly declare I need God. When we raise our hands and say, I have a prayer, that's pretty simple. I need someone bigger than me. I need you, Lord. I need you. See, we're happy to come down here because that's the easy part. 
When we pause up here, it's saying very different, isn't it? It's saying, I can't do this on my own. Now, I don't want to be offensive, but I'm going to belly up close to guilt, and, and if you know me, that's not. But we as parents, I want you to think as parents for a moment. Some of us still are active parenting. You know, if we as parents are, are, are foreigners to publicly expressing our dependence on God, how will our children ever come to understand? They watch what we do, not just what we think. See, it's a powerful statement to admit, I need help. I can't do it all. It's so biblical, isn't it? In our weakness, his strength is made perfect. And so as we celebrate the Eucharist this morning, I invite you to come with joy. Say, thank you, God. As you receive the elements, I invite you to say something. Say, thank you, Jesus. Say it in your head if you want. Say, thank you, Lord. And then let the overwhelming majesty and goodness and holiness of God strike you. And as you perhaps kneel or pause here, publicly declaring, I can't do this on my own. It's me. It's me, O Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. So our worship team's going to sing. We're going to take an offering. And then we're going to experience the joy of Holy Communion. <clears throat>